This is a Wool Observatory podcast. Hello and welcome back to Star Stuff, a podcast where we talk about space, the universe, and everything. And today we will be focused more on the space and everything part of that because we're going to be reviewing sci-fi movie scores or TV scores. Uh, today we're joined by Nate Nice, who just started as our media production specialist. Hello, happy to be here. He was trapped into recording the podcast with us because he <laughs> helped us set up our audio and uh, we didn't let him leave. We also have uh, Kevin White, Lowell's public program supervisor. Hi. What's up, Kevin? And a special guest today, Scott Barrows, who um, we've sort of teased about in a previous episode, we're going to be doing one on colliding black holes soon, right? But Scott is a postdoctoral research associate in the Center for Astrophysics and Space Astronomy. Uh, the acronym, we always like to talk about the acronyms on this show, is, is it CASA? Yes. CASA. Uh, at the University of Colorado Boulder. And your research revolves around black holes and solar systems colliding. Right, yeah. Galaxies colliding, really. Okay, well, that's really neat and awesome, and we're actually not going to talk about that at all today. So if you want to hear that episode, uh, we'll have one soon on Star Stuff. But uh, with uh, Jennifer Hanley. Dr. Jennifer Hanley, she's been on an episode before with us. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, so... Today we're not talking about any of that, though. We are going to be talking about sci-fi music because, uh, well, let's say, what are our qualifications for talking about sci-fi music today? Well, we're all viewers of sci-fi movies. Nerds, check. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and most of us probably like a lot of those movies. Yeah. And the music is a huge part mm -hmm. of probably most, if not all, of those films. Mm -hmm. So it follows we would enjoy the music and mm -hmm. want to talk about it. And Kevin, you like music in general, right? Yeah, so I I was a music major in college back in what feels like a previous life. <laughs> what was and your instrument? Clarinet. Yeah. And awesome. I have dabbled for a long time in writing music too. Oh, nice. Cool. Nate, yeah, I know you were you didn't know you were doing a podcast ten minutes ago, but <laughs> <That's> <laughs> what okay. qualifies you to be here? Uh, I can prepare myself really quickly. Um, <laughs> I love music. I love sci-fi. Um, I've produced my own music in the past. There I've done nerdy audio engineering stuff, as as we see today with the uh, the podcast setup. So yeah, right. <laughs> it's a very nice setup. It's beautiful. I like it. <laughs> So uh, let's just let's just get started. Uh, qualifications: We're all nerds and we like music. Check. So uh, we picked out um, a few movies here. One was actually submitted by listener uh, Dave White. He asked why we hadn't talked about Forbidden Planet. So let's just start with uh, Forbidden Planet, and thanks for sending in that suggestion. Um, I am going to play a bit of it here, but uh, because of copyright purposes, we can't play this on the podcast, so uh, we will be editing out this the moment when we're listening to the music. But, you know, if, if it sounds fun, go and listen to the music on your own. Uh, we're listening to all of them today just on YouTube. So um, we're going to go listen to it now. 
All right, so we listened to about a minute and a half of Forbidden Planet's incredibly terrifying score, in my opinion. First impressions. So, sounds entirely electronic, of course. Actually, Scott, yeah, it's the first completely electronic film score. That's ever. cool. I mean, it's uh, also, let's see, the movie uh, came out in 1956, but still, the first ever completely electronic score. Yeah, after listening to the, the link you posted, I, um, I I really didn't know anything about the score. I had seen this film um, when I was a kid, I think in middle school. I think the, the teachers, it was some half day and they didn't know what to do with us at the end of the day. They so showed the, you Forbidden Planet? So they showed us this, <laughs> this film, yeah. And I think they were thinking, well, it's a 1950s sci-fi film. It should be mostly harmless. Did you have I, nightmares? I Honestly, I didn't understand a lot of what was going on yeah. um, but I do remember the, the the general arc of the film and um but I didn't really I wasn't young enough to really pay attention to the score gotcha. um but then I went back and, and listened to it and, and and read a little about it and yeah it's like electronic but um like very you know by today's standards incredibly rudimentary mm. like made with really just kind of circuits right actually and some yeah. bells and whistles not necessarily those tools but uh very effective, though. And y'all haven't seen it, Nate, Kevin. You guys haven't no. seen this movie? Oh, my gosh, watch it. I have to. <laughs> it is, uh, it's just one of my favorites. It's a classic. Uh, I actually have a Forbidden Planet poster. You've got Robbie the Robot, a uh, very dramatic uh, 1950s drawing with him holding a fainted blonde uh, on, in his arms. He's uh, The thing that I like about this score is that it is... Um, it's used a lot in the film as the, it's like, you know how we have like monster cam and you always have like, you've got Darth Vader's song and different kind of things. So like that, the sound though of that kind of like um, the bells kind of, and then like the, the beat is actually the monster's sound. That's the sound that he makes. And that when it's playing in the score in the movie, everyone else hears as well. So like, what was that? And it's like, that's his, the footprints in the sand of this planet as they're walking toward him. And you know, as that eerie sound comes on, it's like almost like the um, beeps and boops and that kind of thing in the background. Um, that's the monster. That's the only, because there's no visual, a little bit. There's really no visual of the monster. Um, so that's your indication that the monster's around. It's really, really cool. That's awesome, yeah. And it's super spoopy. I don't know. I think it's really creepy. Um, it's like a slow build song that kind of creeps up on you and makes you feel like the like if you're on this planet. So Forbidden Planet is a movie about um, a scientist who uh, lived on this planet alone with his wife and a crew was going in, I forget now, to check on them or to see what was going on, get them to either leave or give a report. And his wife died, and he had a beautiful daughter uh, that all of the crew were smitten by. And uh, the doctor did not, it was telling him all this science experiments that they did. And he was like, no, I want to stay here. You guys go on. And they found this monster that was living on the planet, and it was terrorizing the crew. Oh, so good. Having never seen it, but now hearing it, I, I already feel the mood. Yeah, it's like I get very it. yeah. spooky. Uh, 
and it's it's funny and and kind of quirky. I um, I definitely suggest it, and it's really neat because if you've ever watched the Twilight Zone, so many of the props that they use in the Twilight Zone were directly from the movie. In so many episodes, you're like, oh my god, that's from Forbidden Planet. That's from Forbidden Planet. It's very iconic. One thing I was thinking about with this is like a lot of the way that we think about music, it's determined by like when we listen to the music and what we sort of mentally associate with, mm-hmm. associated with. Mm-hmm. So these sounds, you know, they've been associated with, you know, this sort of creepy, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this creepy sci-fi stuff for, yeah. you know, 70 years or actually a lot more. Yeah, right. <laughs> and... And, you know, every time that people use it in something like the, you know, something like the Twilight Zone, it's just mm-hmm. that, you know, it just builds on that. It's iconic. Yeah. And you hear something and you you know something's about to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would. Um, so I'm looking here on, on Wikipedia about uh, about the soundtrack. So as Scott pointed out, uh, it is fully electronic. And um, it's interesting. The soundtrack preceded the invention of the Moog synthesizer by eight years. Mm-hmm. So, so it was all just like practically making these sounds. Yeah, that was cutting edge stuff at the time, and mm-hmm. you know, the, I, I for a lot of these movies, and you know, like you said, this was the first one to have an entirely electronic soundtrack. But I think for a lot of these movies, it's like, okay, what, you know, what sounds are we going to use for a movie representing the future? Mm-hmm. Well, electronics, of course. You know, it's right. it's commonplace to us now, but it was like you know, super, you know, super bleeding edge for the time. Yeah, it says here um, it was composed by, is it BB perhaps, and um, Louis Barron. And it says Louis constructed his own electronic circuits that he used to generate the scores. And this is in quotes, bleeps, blurps, whirs, whines, throbs, hums, and screeches. Most of these sounds were generated using an electrical um, electronic conduit called a ring modulator. And then after he recorded those basic sounds, Barons further manipulated the sounds by adding other effects such as reverberation and delay and reversing and changing the speeds of the sounds. So, I mean, ah, that's so impressive. Anyway, super spooky. We have a few more. Um, any final thoughts on this movie aside from you really need to watch it? Definitely. I have it on VHS <laughs> if we want to have a movie night. <laughs> Just made for it. Yeah. <laughs> I have this recollection that it's, uh, there's this like use of alien technology in mm-hmm. it at some point. It um, is, yeah. And um, I guess that kind of fits with the use of the electronic score. I was thinking, why why go this route? Mm-hmm. You know, why, why did the filmmakers want to even use a purely electronic score? Maybe they just thought it would sound cool or different, but also thematically, I think it fits with that sort of technological uh, theme. Right, You know, you have yeah. the robot, and then there's something about aliens on the planet. The id. I, I need to. I need to rewatch it. <laughs> yeah, the the id, um, which is really interesting because it's referring, of course, to like the id of the like the id, the ego, etc. Uh, and yeah, so the the scientist there on this um, planet has this underground lab, uh, which the effects that they use are amazing. They're of course they're all practical, or most of them, right? Um, but going like taking this elevator down to the depths of this planet with this technology that, uh, as Scott said, it's actually alien technology that he was experimenting with and um, causing some chaos. (laughs) But yeah, very good. 
super spooky. The next movie, uh, or soundtrack rather, that we're going to talk about is Star Trek. And I think Star Trek is the only one of these that is not a movie, actually. It's a, we're, we're doing the original series. And um, mostly it's just because, like, I'm here. And I got to pick them and I said, we have to include Star Trek original series on here. Um, we all know, like, first thoughts, of course, we think, like, Theron, right? Um, grand intro. Um, has everyone here on the podcast seen the original series? Very little. S some of it. Um, I have to confess, I'm not a true Trekkie. <sighs> yeah, I'm in the same boat. I, I, I've seen a fair bit of it, but like, you know, not every episode. And <laughs> I've I seen maybe it. an episode. Really? <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> what have I done? There aren't that many episodes. <laughs> I think it's, you know, I've, there are a lot of episodes in each season, but it's three seasons, guys. So easy. Go back and watch it. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to take a break and listen to this incredible score. What a classic. <laughs> all right. Initial thoughts. Well, it's an interesting mix of, um, well, you said theremin and then, you know, classical, you got your classical strings mm -hmm. and brass. Mm -hmm. And then um, I guess your 60s brass too, there, yeah. which stands out. Yeah. Yeah. And this was, um, we found out um, earlier, embarrassingly, like neither of us knew this, but this was produced by um, Mr. Courage. What was his first name? Alexander Courage created this intro. So what did what did y'all think? My initial thought was if any of y'all have attempted to play a theremin, it <laughs> is the most difficult instrument. It's maddening. It, it's absolutely ridiculous to try to even get anywhere close to on tune. Mm -hmm. So mad I, props. I only learned a theremin to learn the intro. I love that. I so love that. In college, someone had a theremin, and I'm like, "Give it to me!" So I learned the intro, and then somewhere over the rainbow, and then I stopped because it was way too hard. How many hours of practice did that take? Oh God, who's to say, <laughs> man? <laughs> they are. It's pretty maddening because you've got like one hand that controls the pitch, and then one hand that could. It's. It's impressive. And there's no point of reference either. No. And then you have to readjust it depending on if you've moved positions. Like you have to customize it to your own sitting position yep exactly it's it's maddening but um it's really really cool uh, alexander courage uh vocally created the uh whoosh sound of the enterprise flying by uh in that intro so uh he just like i don't know if he just literally went like <laughs> like <laughs> practice different whoosh sounds but uh i thought i mean that's I thought that was pretty cool. Kevin, what did you think? Yeah, I mean, it's a classic intro. Uh, I kind of like, you know, listening to it just now how, you know, you have the first half, which is all serious, and we're going to go explore in space. So you have, like, the horns, and you have all these, um, and you have all these, like, classical sort of intervals that we're sort of trained to associate with, like, heroism and stuff. And then you have the second half, which with the bongos and the theremin, and it's 
little bit like it's telling us, okay, this, but, you know, it still is this fun series. Don't take it all mm-hmm. that seriously, maybe. But we're going to have fun. Yeah. Um, and interestingly, so the um, the intro, you noticed it had the woman singing, whatever. So uh, it was actually, the first few didn't have the, uh, the female vocals. They had just sound, strange sounds and noises and stuff like that, the theremin, that kind of thing. And then uh, I think it was Gene Roddenberry who, you know, listeners correct me if I'm wrong, uh, who wanted it to be, uh, have a, a, a female vocal there. So, so they did like a test screening with audiences or? I don't know. They just sort of kept changing it. Um, they had the pilot, right? And the pilot was, um, which you can still find. I think it's, if you have HBO, it's on there. Uh, and the pilot had... Um, Kirk was William Shatner wasn't the captain it was uh, Captain Pike was the captain and uh, you can even tell that the paint that they used for Spock uh, was he was much greener and in fact originally he was going to be with a much more red tone but apparently uh, that did not look very PC on a black and white TV screen (laughs) and so they're like oh never mind uh, so they changed it to more of a yellowish tone there's a lot of a lot of different things and they actually used the pilot in a future episode to sort of save some money. But, um, but yeah, they, at the beginning, I think they were just sort of like testing some things out. And I would be curious to know if they did like an audience AB test. And it's actually here in the description. Yeah, it was the first season. They didn't have the vocals in it. I, I, I definitely prefer that version, but um, I don't know. They're all so classic to me. I didn't know I knew this much about the intro. So I'm kind of excited. <laughs> The next soundtrack we're going to review is um, 2001 A Space Odyssey. So who here has seen this one? I love this movie. Yeah. I saw this for the first time of just a few days ago specifically for this. You did? <laughs> yeah. What do you think? <laughs> it was fun. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I I think this is one of, this is one of those movies that uh, my parents were willing to show me at a very, very young age. You know, like this is a classic. You have to see it. I don't know, maybe, you know, you're like, whatever, <laughs> six or seven years old or something. <laughs> um, but yeah, and then, of course, watching it many, many times since, it, there, there's so much in it mm-hmm. um, as, a, as a film, let, let alone the score, which we'll, we're going to talk about now. You know. Yeah, I uh, watched it as a kid in, uh, a few times, never watched it as an adult. Never did. It's a different experience. I I watched it. I was probably like five years old when I watched it the first time. I, of course, had no clue what was happening. Right. But then I rewatched it again. It had to have been just like a year ago. And I was like, oh, I get this. I understand. And then you start to see how much of an impact this movie had on the sci-fi genre in general. Yeah, I, I... I just remember really loving it and being, I like to watch it uh, a lot. And we always had Star Trek on and stuff like that. And, you know, my, my parents are in their seventies. So, uh, a lot of the stuff from the sixties was like their, the stuff that they loved. And, uh, I think it's interesting. I actually didn't write this outline, but the outline says uh, space odyssey, uh, might be seen as boring to the modern movie watcher with its long, drawn-out space pans with slowly building instrumentals, which I thought was funny because that's like uh, Star Trek. <laughs> um, but yeah, it says it's revolutionary for its time, but I never thought of it as boring. I just thought it was pretty. 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there's certainly a, a lack of uh, dialogue or really much exposition at all, except for maybe just a few key scenes to explain why they're going to the um, why they're going out to, you know, explore the monolith and, and beyond to, to Jupiter and beyond. But yeah, I, I agree with you. I wouldn't say boring, um, more just a, a, a visual audio experience. I think it brings the viewer in too. I mean, the kind of isolation that you feel in your, not that I've been there, but <laughs> the isolation I would imagine one would feel being, you know, out in space. I think it really brings the viewer into that by having that lack of dialogue and, mm-hmm. you know, some scenes being very drawn out. It also gives it a very uh, timeless quality, which I, sure Kubrick was going for, you know, you know, if, if you, if you try to load your film with, with exposition, it can feel, it can, it can date it in some ways, the way you explain things, you know, but if you sort of just sort of show audiences, accompany that with some great music and let them think about like what's happening, where are we after the week, after they leave Jupiter, where are they going? What's happening? You yeah. know, and you can kind of like piece that together yourself in whatever way you want. And it's ironic, too, because it is timeless. I, I agree with that. And it's funny because they just slammed 2001 in the title, which now we're over 20 years <laughs> away from, which is a different conversation. Um, but, yeah, I think uh, there was a comment on here, too. I don't, I don't know who wrote it. But they were like, oh, in 2001, we, we were supposed to be here in 2001. And <laughs> instead, we got different things. <laughs> so I'm curious, uh, you know, does it date... Like, when you're looking back or watching this movie, does that take you out of it, knowing that it was supposed to have occurred, like, 20 years ago? I don't think so. Me. No? You could just replace the year 2001 with some other year. and uh, You just say start date 2001. That changed. Yeah. Who knows what that means? <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what a start date is? I don't. Um, so let's, let's take a, a second and listen to uh, the very iconic uh, score of a space odyssey. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, like you said, it's iconic. Um, yeah. So one thing I was thinking is, um, so this intro is actually the overture to about a 20 minute long piece by Richard Strauss, um, also Sprach Zarathustra. Okay. which is based on a story by Friedrich Nietzsche oh. in which a guy basically press, um, like predicts the existence of Nietzsche's idea of what he called an ubermensch, which is um, in Nietzsche's idea, sort of a more a moral and philosophical evolution of, of humankind rather than a like, um, like intellectual or physical one. Oh, um, okay. But... <laughs> Um, and I'm sure that, you know, knowing Kubrick, I know, I'm sure this was intentional. If you look at the spots where this, um, where this music is played in the, into, in the film, um, other than the very intro, uh-huh. it's at the points where, like, where key moments of evolution happen. Huh. So, like, when the pre-human ape figures out how to use tools, which is, I think, what he's showing there, <laughs> that music plays. And then at the very end... When, like, you have the, um, I... Spoilers. Spoilers, I guess. <laughs> but when you, have the, well, when you have the evolution at the end, then um, that music plays, too. Uh-huh. And, like, the one way of reading this film, at least as I saw it, is, like, it's, you know, about evolution and what will evolve. Like, uh-huh. one way of reading is, you you know, you have 
you know, humanity and the HAL 9000 both going for this thing that will make them evolve and mm. symbolically, like, which will evolve more or first or which will be, like, the more, more important evolution? Will it be, you know, humanity or machines? Mm. At least that's one way of reading it. And so, you know, that... Which is directly tied to men being overturned, was it? Which is, yeah, directly tied Replaced to... Replaced by Overman. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Or um, or at least like in, in Nietzsche's idea, you know, the again, you know, Nietzsche, Nietzsche's idea was, you know, of, of this, Nietzsche's sense of this evolution is definitely different than what's presented in 2001, A Space Odyssey. Right. But you still have that same theme of evolution. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. And it says it's a, it's a waltz, which is interesting. I wouldn't have heard that and thought waltz. It's maybe just that because it's a part of something. Um. This is the overture to the waltz. Is that? I don't. Why? Oh, well, the, the, the separate the track? Blue down you later. That's a waltz. I like. I don't know about the overture. I forget. Oh. What, I forget what like. But um, the blue down you later. That's a um, that's played later, and that's a waltz. That's a waltz. And, okay. And, yeah, and, it says it's use, it uses pieces from that. So maybe yeah. just a part of the movie used pieces from that waltz, not necessarily yeah. the intro. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. In yeah. fact, that that when you see the yeah the the spaceship and. Um, we're introduced to the the humans in space. Yeah, that's the the chart that gets played. Yeah, it, it does say here that um, it, the music was meant to convey a somewhat lonely and mournful quality, which is like what Nate was saying. Uh, yeah, it's a real slow build, um, and then it's I feel like it's super impactful. And I feel like everybody knows this song, even if they don't know why. They, they don't know, know where it. it's from. Yeah, 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 Maybe. and it's another example of like you know of the iconography of the music and like what it's come to mean completely just completely just eclipsing the original meaning of the music. Right, yeah, yeah. Like it's, this has come to have, you know, nothing to do with what Richard Strauss wrote it for, um, for or about. It's just come to me being like this big bombastic beginning to something, which mm-hmm. in fairness, this is what it sounds like. It's, it's a, you know, it's a glorious piece of music. Right. And um, I think, Kevin, it was actually you who added to our outline that we have for this episode. Um, saying, you know, it inspired the construction of film scores in, like, future space films. You mentioned there's a cue from, um, uh, is it Suit, the last name, that was used briefly in the opening credits of the score for Aliens. Oh, I think I wrote that. Was that you, Scott? Right. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Um, So just, like, kind of picking up, like, uh, classic sounds and using it to incorporate a certain feeling in a new which of course perpetuates the use of this like vibe i guess for songs right yeah i guess that was just you know if you're familiar with the 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 classical pieces used in this film and then you know you listen to film scores from from subsequent sci-fi space films you know you can hear you know inspiration from from a number of, of, of tracks in this film and, and, and so many of those, you know, and I was just sort of, I guess, listing some examples, for example, the the guy in ballet suite, which is used, I guess, in the, the scene in 2001 when they're, um, you, you, you remember they're, they're running, they're, you know, getting some exercise on this, you know, uh, you know, the rotating spaceship, you know, to, okay. you know, where it's, it, it's, you know, rotating to, to simulate gravity, you know, mm-hmm. and they're running, and it's and it's that plus all showing their their sort of daily routine as they're making their way out to Jupiter, and this music is played, and it's very sort of like mellow and almost melancholy, and but anyway, there, there's a, a a cue from there that uh, James Horner incorporated into uh, 
the opening, the main title after the the opening, yeah, logos as as we're you know seeing the the spaceship approach and aliens. James Horner incorporated that and also used it in the end credits as well. Yeah, it's uh, almost a sin that we didn't include Alien on our on our list to talk about. I found a way to include it. So. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So uh, we can include these links in our Discord uh, once this episode airs. But let's take a second and listen to that real quick. So that's really interesting. Yeah, there's a comment down in, in this YouTube video, and we'll post this to Discord. It says, you know, at a minute 30, I love the use of the, is it Guyane Ballet? Uh, yeah, Ballet Suite. Mm-hmm. Such a haunting but beautiful piece. Yeah, so they just took it straight from there. Yeah, I remember as a as a kid, you know, I, I would I, I love this score, um, and uh, you know, I would. This but is I, aliens. I, yeah, aliens. Yeah. yeah, but I but I also loved the I, I had watched two thousand one many times, and um, I thought, man, that sounds familiar, but it certainly can't be the same thing. I mean, Couldn't be. people can't reuse music from one movie and another movie. <laughs> Then I, you know, sample wi- songs in general. No one does that, right? <laughs> <laughs> then I wised up and learned about the real world and, well, and just, you know, inspiration by artists in general. So, well, you know, things change. You, you know, once upon a time, if you, once upon a time, if you were like referenced somebody else's music and your own music, it was considered, or, you know, if you sort of sampled somebody else's music to use the modern parlance, it was actually considered an honor to the original composer. Right, yeah. Yeah. And now I just do it anyway. They don't care. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it's interesting that that specific song was used in two um, pretty much like deep space exploration movies. That's interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, we're going to take a second and we're going to listen to the score from Star Wars. If you haven't heard of it, it's a sci-fi fantasy movie. <laughs> Leave your house. Um, <laughs> Alright, so we won't listen to the whole thing. It's over it's almost six minutes long. But what a good song. Right? Man, I love um how it became like a uh, March. Right? Uh like, do you think of, like, the marching uh, band or any kind of think of the stormtroopers wobbling along? Um, but, yeah, what do you what do you guys think, initial thoughts? I mean, you have heard biased. it before. Have, I'm biased towards Star Wars. Has so. everyone seen Star Wars here? <laughs> Never heard of it. Never heard of it. Kevin, you had some notes in there about uh, influence from, from Holes? Yeah, so it's, like, in the classical world, at least, it's, like, fairly well, I mean... No one ever thought that like whole, that um, that John Williams' score for Star Wars is very very heavily influenced by um, Holst's um, by Gustav Holst's works, especially Gustav Holst's The Planets. Sweet. Mm, okay. And like, if you compare um, the oh the the overture is like not as not as obvious, um, but you know there's still definitely hints of parts of Holst's The Planets, especially Jupiter in the Star Wars overture. But if you compare, like, the Imperial March to the Holst music for Mars and Uranus, or if you compare the, um, like, Princess Leia's theme to the Holst theme for Jupiter, for, not Jupiter, um, to the Holst theme for Venus, for example, mm-hmm. then it, it gets really obvious. There's an appropriate pairing. Yeah. Leia and Venus. I guess. That's interesting. Um, Leia might not have wanted to be thought of that way, but... No. <laughs> um, but... 
And, you know, it's, I, I keep thinking, you know, it's, again, you have this, like, social construction of, I mean, you, like, everybody participates in what music means. So, you know, whole, sorry, um, John Williams is all, okay, I need, I need, like, awesome, futuristic-sounding space music, which is all exciting and sounds wonderful. So he draws on whole, on Gustav Holst space music. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's easy to, you know, it's easy to think of it as ripping off, but, you know, everybody does that in every craft. Right. You know, just, you know... Just like, you know, Isaac Newton builds on Kepler and Galileo, mm-hmm. um, John Williams builds on Gustav Holst. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, and the this is a process that, you know, we all participate in. You know, every time that you post, you know, you post a meme about with Star Wars music in it on the, on the Internet, you're yeah. also changing the meaning of what this, you know, you're also changing what this music and what these sounds mean or contribute uh, or at least contributing to it. Right. There is something about the 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 tone too and like uh, how the music progresses i think it was so, a star trek movie that took actual like re- like a later star trek movie that took inspiration from star wars and then there was commentary on like how well it fit which is interesting to me like all of these soundtracks there's something about it that's just like yeah that's sci-fi or like that's you know, it's like it's just ingrained in our culture at this point. Yeah, and you know, it's I, you know, I think there are certain sounds that are just like literally part of like human biology that this sound you know sort of brings up th- these feelings. Mm-hmm. But you know, also it's it's hard to natural or well, you know, that's the thing. It's it's hard to sort of differentiate because we've been listening to this all this music literally since before we've been born. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. you know. So, so much of it is, um, you know, a lot of it, like the, um, you know, going back to the uh, Lost in Space music, that sounded alien, that sounds alien to us partially because, you know, we're not used to hearing music like that. Right. Whereas yeah. a lot of the other stuff, you know, these chords, these beats, these sort of musical conventions, we've all heard these things, you know, literally thousands, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of times. Right. Yeah, it's true. Especially Nate, I guess. <laughs> Star Wars fan? Oh, yeah. 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 Huge Star Wars fan. So, and it's funny when we think about how certain sounds and certain types of music bring up certain emotions. Because the first thought that comes to mind when I hear the Star Wars theme is triumphant. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a very similar theme to a lot of other sci fi soundtracks. It's just adventurous, triumphant. Um, inspirational. inspirational sound. And I think the idea of going out to space and, you know, fighting whatever monsters or whatever villains, that's, that's exactly what, what you're getting out of the film. Mm-hmm. It's almost operatic. And, uh, it, you know, it's the, the legendary John Williams, right? And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, in addition to, you know, his, uh, masterful composition, you know, was in, you know, uh, he orchestra, uh, he, he conducts almost everything he does. I mean, full full orchestras, and you know, it gives it this very um, voluminous uh, sound. You know, that's uh, can be contrasted to a lot of you know um, modern soundtracks about space today that uh, sort of record in, in smaller pieces and do a lot of mixing. You know, to in, in maybe incorporate some electronic work. Um, it just has this very full sound to it. You know no synthetic edge at all and um which these days actually makes it very unique right. for a space score and yeah. i mean it was unique when it came out just because of you know 
how great a composer Williams is, but, and, you know, creating new themes. We're not going to get to really delve into Interstellar just because. Oh, I want to talk about the pipe organ. Yeah, I was like, (laughs) kind of like looking over this, I feel like maybe we should just really quickly talk about Interstellar because, you know, Scott mentioning like um, those like past movies, and yeah, it's like really rare to have a fully composed, like something like that with a full orchestra band, that kind of thing. It's it's amazing. Um, But uh, I I do kind of want to talk about Interstellar really quickly. Skip over the Martian. Uh, sorry, uh, Martian, we love you. Sorry, Harry Gregson Williams. All right, here we go. So, initial thoughts of Interstellar. We'll talk about uh, digital editing and mixing. You know, uh, there's no one better at that in Hollywood than uh, Hans Zimmer, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but um, the pipe organ, as as Kevin mentioned, is, is a unique thing, and that and that that does get uh, um, used a lot and done very well. And um, actually, yeah, I want to hear what, what Kevin has to say. <laughs> oh yeah, so the pipe organ, you know, it's another one of those things. I think, I think, um, like there's this concept of music called leitmotif, which is usually different melodies, but also like just different sounds that represent different characters or ideas. Mm-hmm. And Star Wars is actually a really good example of leitmotif because you have all these different musical themes for different characters but in this I think I think you could also you could almost have like a like just the sound of the organ is sort of a leitmotif mm-hmm. and it's sort of I don't know I, I think it maybe the idea where they were going for is like space as a cathedral mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know the so the pipe organ is you know it's it's this gigantic instrument you literally have to build a whole building around it if you're going to have one really and so and you know it makes this massive sound which is very appropriate like for going up into the yeah yeah so it's you know it's, it's it's appropriate for talking about a black hole and for space but also um you know this association with you know it's, it's historically been associated with cathedrals because um largely because you know it used to be in like you know in medieval and Renaissance Europe and whatnot, you know, the, you, like I said, you have to build literally a whole building around a pipe organ. And then if you're going to play it, you need two people to play it. Cause one person, you know, one person actually play it and one person to like, just be pushing on the bellows to move the air through right. the pipes. Yeah. And, you know, the church was just, you know, the only institution with both the resources and the inclination to, to be able to do something like that. And so you have this theme where you have like, um, sort of again, you know, space as a cathedral, <laughs> yeah. and like, um, and like its own like deity kind of like it's exactly, yeah, yeah. And I feel like you know, arguably, you know, given where the movie goes, you know, you have this. I, I think you might have like sort of this intentional religious, you know, not not that Han, not that um, Eric, um, not that um, Christopher Nolan or Hans Zimmer are trying to, you know, make any really overtly religious statements, but right, you have yeah. that sort of same gut feeling to it right. um, in terms of, you know, where they where they go with the themes of the movie, too. Right. <laughs> Both yeah. in terms of space being huge and of, you know, there being something, um, you know, spirit, sort of spiritually could say that transcends space and time. Yeah, definitely. And it has that vibe to it, too, yeah. like when you're listening to it. It's also a slow build. It's a very emotional piece. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
it seems to me that, yeah, in addition to, to all of that, you know, the, the use of the, the organ brings this sense of, you know, of, I guess, melancholy is what I'm looking for, mm-hmm. you know, and which if you kind of read about, you know, the, the collaboration between Hans Zimmer and Christopher Nolan and, and developing the, the themes that are used in this, you know, I think one of the initial, um, the initial genesis of one of the themes was just, you know, think about, you know, we're telling a story about a, a about a father who gets separated from his daughter over, you know, a vast stretch of space and years and, and sort of just with that in mind, um, you know, develop a theme. And I think that, well, and that is where it sort of uh, originated. And then, you know, trying to find the instruments to evoke that, you know, I think the organ probably came out naturally mm-hmm. as a as a way to, 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 to give you that feeling. And also as maybe kind of a unique instrument to use in a space film so prominently as mm-hmm. well, you know. And Hans Zimmer can do that, you know, because, uh, well, he's, he's, a good, he's a great composer, but it, it also, um, you know, uh, a real pro, you know, in mixing and uh, getting u- unique sounds from instruments, you know, in a way that you probably couldn't get if you were doing everything live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it was interesting, too, because it was sort of sorrowful and it had that kind of hopeless feeling. But then it still did, like, you could still sense some, like, building up and some inspiration and, like, the, like, slow build of it, which fits with the movie, Mm -hmm. if you've seen the film. Um, I really liked it. I know uh, Gerard Van Bell, who's been on um, two of our episodes so far, he wants to come on here just to talk about how much he hates this movie from, like, a scientific standpoint. Um, But I, I don't know much about science. I thought it was brilliant. Well, they stated up front that we're going to make things cinematic. And if we can incorporate science in the right way, we will. But, right. Uh, but we're making a movie first. Yeah. I, <laughs> I thought it was really, really good. And I do actually remember the music. Like, it, I noticed it while I was listening uh, to the movie or, or watching the movie, which is a good, a good sign usually for a score. If you're like, man, the music's really good. Have you seen this one? Yeah. Yeah. Once once but the 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 same as the the music like very iconic and it might also be because it's also a tiktok sound that's been going around is it really so i mean i've, I've heard it very frequently recently oh, I miss that. <laughs> yeah okay. um but no i mean i you know i instantly would recognize it if you didn't tell me what we were listening to as really? the okay. interstellar theme that's awesome So I, we did miss one of the big questions, which is, so the name of this podcast drives back to a space odyssey, right? It, uh, yeah, well, space poddity. A space poddity, yeah. which goes back to like David Bowie's A Space Oddity. Yes, exactly. Is from a space odyssey. I'm so glad someone caught that. No one so, mentioned it. I don't even bring up, like, I don't even say a space poddity more because I was like, no so, one's going to. So the, so the, no one gets so it. the really important question is if. Um, you know, the Odyssey was about Odysseus. So if, if we're, you know, a space podity, does that imply the existence of a podiseus? There is a podiseus. Oh, good. Yes. Okay. Yes. The famed podiseus. Yes. Who traveled through all of the other podcasts until, mm-hmm. you know. Okay. Other thing, though. Um, so I forgot to mention also 2001 A Space Odyssey. So Arthur C. Clarke mm-hmm. actually wrote a, um, a few sequels to 2001 A Space, um, a space Odyssey. And one of them was 3001 A Space Odyssey, which happens a thousand years later. And I guess 
spoilers through 2001, but <laughs> one of the characters gets shunted out into space through an airlock and, and, and killed and freezes <laughs> in space. And for 3001, this character gets, um, th this character gets thought out and, and revived with, you know, future technology. And it turns out this character was actually born and raised in Flagstaff. No kidding. No kidding. And guess where he was inspired to take up astronomy from? No. Yeah, um, Arthur C. Clarke specifically says he was um, inspired to take up astronomy from his visits to Lowell Observatory. What? We're, we're so famous. <laughs> <laughs> we're so popular. That's awesome. And that's in 3001. That's in, that's in 3001, yeah. Oh, okay. The lesser, the sequel. It's one of the, one of several sequels, but yeah, it's oh, okay. the one it's, to watch. Though listeners, watch that one. <laughs> That's awesome, and it's interesting you mentioned. And this doesn't have anything to do with music. You mentioned the they was frozen out in space. Mm -hmm. um, I heard recently. I think it was John Compton who told me this. That actually in space, uh, you would um, your internal temperature would get too high because it would be like there would be nothing um, like nowhere for. Uh, anything to go, and so your your temperature raises. Is that true? I don't know about the physics of that. I like because there's no nowhere for like. There's no air to take yeah. you away from your body. Yeah. yeah. So your heat is just trapped in your body. Right? Yeah, I mean. Because space so, isn't really cold. It's just nothing, right? So you're still mm -hmm. so while you're in, like it's an interesting physics physics problem because while you're in space you're still radiating heat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that happens, you know, forever. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, and if you're radiating, and it's, as, you know, in principle, it's simple. Like, if you're radiating more heat than you're receiving from the sun, then you'll, you know, you might, you know, there might be things in the short term that can warm you up. I don't know about those biological processes, but in the long term, you should be getting colder. And so it'll depend on, like, where you're shunted out into space. Ah. Like it could very easily see like if you were shunted out like around Earth, then may, you would you you could very easily like get very very hot and right. it'd probably actually be like a miniature version of the moon where like your one side is like baked and the other side freezes. <laughs> yeah. But in um, in the story, this character is like shunted out into space around Jupiter, which mm -hmm. I think you would um, like. I think the various things would pretty quickly like destroy yourselves to an extent that you know. No conceivable technology could actually bring you back. Right. Um, we should do. We should do a, a podcast episode, just like a hundred ways to die in space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should. But um, yeah, I think that far out, like your body would eventually like freeze. But, ah, okay. But um, I it would be an interesting physics. It'd be an interesting physics problem. Is like how far away? How far away from the sun, the sun do you need to be to like freeze rather than bake? Right. Yeah. That's fascinating. So um, before we wrap up today's episode, Scott, can you give us a teaser on what we might talk about in a podcast about uh, colliding black holes and galaxies? Sure, yeah. Well, I'll just say that uh, galaxies that we observe in the universe collide remarkably frequently. Uh-oh. And, and so, we're crashing into one, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, we're observing this. Uh, we have a front row seat to that happening. And, uh, and we see it happening elsewhere as well. And it's important for the, for the evolution of uh, many, perhaps most galaxies in the universe and of their stars and potentially 
of their uh, of planets around those stars. And will we be talking on our podcast episode about uh, how we're, our galaxy is being eaten up by Andromeda? We can if you want. Uh, yes, so if you're interested in that, stay tuned. But um, for now, thank you so much to uh, everyone here, uh, Dr. Uh, Scott, uh, Kevin, and Nate for coming in at the last minute to join us. Absolutely. Really <laughs> Thanks for having it. us here. Yeah, thank you. That was fun. This podcast was made possible by our members and donors. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support our nonprofit in making more digital education like this available, go to lowell.edu slash donate. Thanks for listening.